Hey, uh, we are going to dive into Luke chapter 20. You may expect a Palm Sunday message, but we just went over that uh, just a few weeks ago. And we've been spending some time in this week that Jesus has in between him coming into Jerusalem before he dies on the cross. And as I said uh, over the last few messages, he's really been butting heads with these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, these Sadducees. He is just starting to butt heads with them, but he has overall a lot of popularity with the people. Overall, people still really like him. People are still infatuated with everything that he's saying. They are gripping on to his words. They want to come and see him. He's drawing crowds. And so the Pharisees here, they're trying to decide, okay, what do we do? What do we do with this guy? Because he really threatens our power. He really threatens our influence over the people. What are we going to do with this Jesus guy? And so here they are, and they are going to try to stump Jesus, to manipulate him, to trick him with all these questions. Let's read here Luke chapter 20. It starts in verse 19. Uh, If you will follow along with me, the words are going to be behind me. Also, uh, you can uh, find it in the YouVersion Bible app too. You can click on the More tab and then Events, and then you can follow along with us there. Luke chapter 20, this is what it says. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him a question. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar's the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God." And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. There came to him some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, having a wife but no children, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. First took a wife and died without children. And the second and the third took her, and likewise all seven left, no children, and died. After the word, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to him, The sons of this age marry and are given into marriage, but those who are considered worthy to obtain that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given into marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is not God of the dead, but the God of the living. For all live to him. Then some scribes answer, Teacher, you've spoken well. For they no longer dared to ask him, any question. But he said to him, how can they say that the Christ is David's son? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make you your enemies your footstools. David thus calls him Lord. Now, 
how is he his son? And in hearing all of the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. We're going to talk about uh, what these couple of uh, questions that these religious leaders asked Jesus and Jesus' answers then mean for our lives today. Before we do that, though, as always, let's just go before God and ask Him for His help with that. Pray with me, if you will. Father, again, we just thank You so much for Your Word. We come before You this morning, and uh, I just pray that You soften our hearts to whatever it is that You have for us. Would You help us to really learn from You, and not just keep it as head knowledge, Father, but actually have it affect our lives. As the book of James says, that we may not be hearers only of the Word, but also doers. Would you help us not to just hear in this room what this passage means, but would you help us to apply it to our lives? Holy Spirit, soften our hearts, mold us, conform us to your image, and help us to glorify you in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, have you ever been uh, maybe reading a passage of Scripture, and maybe this is something very, very familiar to you. Uh, maybe it's in the Old Testament, maybe it's in the New Testament, but it's very familiar to you, and you're saying, man, I've read this a thousand times before, but I feel like the Lord is just opening up the meaning to me, that He is applying this to my life in a way that He never has before. You know, that's what's good about Scripture is that the Bible tells us that it's living and active. God uses it new in our lives each and every time that we read this. And so when we look at these couple of questions here, I'm sure if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've probably heard these couple of questions before. And you've probably heard the answers that Jesus has to, that we are to pay our taxes and that we won't be married in heaven. But I think that there's something way deeper going on and something way deeper that we can actually apply to our lives than to pay your taxes and that we won't be married in heaven. So let's take a look here at these couple of questions that they ask him. They start off here by saying that they are wanting to attack Jesus. It says uh, that they sought to lay hands on him. I think that uh, really what they mean is they want to beat him up. They're like, hey, let's get this guy out of here. He is affecting us. Uh, He is affecting our power, our influence over the people, and they want him out of there. But remember, all the people are still glued to Jesus. And they want their popularity. And so if they just go and attack this guy, then all these people are going to be outraged. They're going to lose their popularity. And remember, Rome is still over Israel at this time. There would have been Roman soldiers everywhere to keep order and to keep peace. If there was chaos, if there was a brawl against Jesus, the Roman authorities would have came in and arrested the instigators here. And so they're trying to be cautious. And so look at their plan. It's fascinating to me. Here in verse 20, it says, So they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver them up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they come up with this really good plan. They're like, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get these guys. They're going to butter Jesus up here. They're going to talk flattery to him. They're going to say kind things, and then they're going to try and stump him. And they come up with some of the best questions. These people are not dumb. They are very smart. They have thought through this. They've done their homework. And they ask him some very fascinating questions here. They essentially ask him, hey, should we be paying our taxes or not? Now, for us, this is an easy question, right? We know what Jesus is going to say. 
many times that Jesus is going to say that we should pay our taxes. But if you really think about this, this is a really good question. Because all of the people do not like the taxes, right? We've talked about this over and over throughout this sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, that the Romans had been oppressing the Israelites, taking way too many taxes, and uh, they really, really disliked this. And so they're thinking, if Jesus says that you should pay your taxes, all the people, I mean, they're going to hate him. He's going to lose his popularity instantly. If Jesus, on the other hand, says, no, don't pay your taxes, then the Romans are going to get after Jesus as an instigator, and he will be arrested. And that's what I think that they'll think that he says here. But we know Jesus, he says, give me a denarius. And somebody takes out this coin, and he says, hey, tell me, tell me whose picture is on this coin here. And they're like, well, well it's Caesar's. And this is fascinating Jesus' answer here. Because think about what the Israelites would have thought about when they see something physically inscribed as a picture, as a tribute to someone. Think about that. They were told, hey, listen, you cannot make idols. You cannot make inscriptions and worship this. So the Israelites, they would have really struggled with this. My guess is a lot of the Israelites probably would have thought back to the golden calf and the, just the disaster that happened when Moses went to meet with God on Mount Sinai, and then all the people are there turning their jewelry into a golden cow that they're going to worship. I mean, this is just horrible. Everyone would have known this story. And so they're beckoning back to this story here. And Jesus says, see, it's not something that we worship. So if Caesar's asking for it, here you go. If God's asking for it, here you go. But I'm not going to worship the money itself. And so the people are like, wow, that's, that's a really good answer. They're kind of stumped about it. And then you get these guys, the Sadducees here in verse 27. Now, these guys, it tells us right here, they deny the resurrection. They don't believe that there is any life after death. They believe when you die, you go on the ground, you turn into dirt, you decompose, and that's it. That's the end of who you are. They deny the resurrection. Some people, and we don't have evidence to believe this in Scripture, but some people also believe that the Sadducees wouldn't have even believed in the entire Old Testament, but just the first five books. That they would have denied all of the miracles, all of the things that were supernatural. They would have denied all of that. So these guys, I kind of view as kind of curmudgeon-y. They're kind of like, well, you're going to die and you're going to go in the grave. That's the end of Joe, right? I mean, that's, that's it. That's the, that's the end of Bob, right? There, there's his life. And I just kind of imagine there's a bunch of neat people, and they have a lot to prove. You see, the Sadducees would have been in the minority for the religious leaders. Most people were, were Pharisees. They believed in some type of life after death. The Sadducees had a lot to prove. And so not only are they going against Jesus, but they're also trying to prove their agenda that there is no resurrection. And so if you think of this scenario that they bring up, the scenario of a woman whose husband dies and then her brother marries her and go on and on and on, all seven brothers. It's a, it's a fascinating scenario. Think about it. If you go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, I'm sure you all have it memorized. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, uh, it talks about leveret marriage. No, you don't have it? Okay, that's okay. I'll explain it to you real quick. It's called leveret marriage. This is an obscure Old Testament law. You see, what would happen is if there was a, uh, a, a male who uh, married uh, and then had, he passed away, his brother, 
if they did not have kids, was supposed to marry his widow. It's kind of strange to us today, but that was the system that was set up to carry on the bloodlines of Israel. And so when these guys are saying this, they would have held Deuteronomy 25 near and dear to their hearts. And so they're saying, hey, listen, if that's the case, if that's what really people are supposed to be doing, it doesn't make any sense. Because think about it, who are they going to be married to in heaven? It doesn't make any sense what they're doing. And so either they're saying Jesus has to disprove his own word in Deuteronomy 25, or he's saying there's going to be polygamy in heaven, right? And so it just doesn't make sense. They think that they've got Jesus cornered. They're like, oh yeah, this is it. There's no way he's going to be answering this. I'm sure that they would have uh, stayed up late at night and they're like, oh yeah, you know what? What if we ask? No, 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 no. Leverett marriage. Dude, Leverett marriage. Yes, ask Jesus that. There's no way. This is a, perf- this is a gold mine of a question. And then Jesus, he just answers it so easily. He says, hey, listen, guys, when you're in heaven, you're not going to be married. I mean, yeah, you're married here on earth, but hey, listen, after that, when you go to heaven, you're no longer this finite person who has a deadline, right? At some point, each and every one of us will die. When you're in heaven, things aren't like that. And so if you're not going to die, there's no need for procreation. If there's no need for procreation, there's no marriage, right? And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you got the resurrection all wrong. You have a fundamental misunderstanding of what this is going to look like. So let's talk about the obvious first. The obvious of these uh, application points, of these uh, questions that he has is, number one, we are obligated to pay our taxes. Romans chapter 13 tells us this as well. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, uh, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed And those who resist will incur judgment, for the rules are not terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then you do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he's God's servant, and for your good. But if you are doing wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of the God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of consciousness. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is obvious from Jesus' first answer here. What else is obvious? Well, secondly, there will be no marriage in heaven. We get this. But many times the problem is that we just end it right there. And we just say, okay, well, you know, I guess I um, should not be cheating on my taxes. Uh, I've got to follow the rules. And uh, I won't be married in heaven. I've talked to several people. Uh, some people are extremely happy that they will not be married in heaven. Some people are extremely sad that they will not be married in heaven. I will not ask for a raise of hands. We're not here to disrupt marriages. So, uh, but these are obvious uh, application points, right? The problem is there's more going on with this story. There's far more. And so many times we just look at this and we go, okay, yeah, cool. And we just start moving on. And we don't keep in context what's happening. Think back to the first couple verses of this passage. 
What does it say? It says that the people were trying to catch him. They were trying to lay hands on him. They do not like what Jesus is doing. And take a look at the last couple passages of this, or I'm sorry, last couple verses of this passage of Scripture. Let me read it to you. It says, In hearing all of the people, he said, this is Jesus, said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Guys, I know I've I've hammered this point into you over and over and over, so I'm sorry if this sounds repetitive, but it is extremely important that we keep Scripture in its context. And when we do, we find out that this passage of Scripture goes way deeper than just the simple questions that Jesus is answering here. You see, Jesus, he's turning to his disciples, and he has this teachable moment with them. And he says, hey, listen, these guys, these scribes, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, Um, don't do that. Don't be that guy. Don't go on praying on and on and on and seeking the best seat of honor and acting perfect. Look at this. Jesus says at the end of verse 47 here, they will receive the greater condemnation. I think the actual point to this passage of Scripture is not just those two obvious points that we just talked about, although those are important. If you're looking for answers to those questions, those are legitimate answers that Jesus gives there. But I think there's something far deeper going on here, and it's this teachable moment with uh, Jesus' disciples that he has with them. He's saying, hey, listen, don't be like that. Don't be that Pharisee. Don't be that person who's hypocritical. So a few points that I want to point out just from this teachable moment that Jesus has with his disciples. Number one, this teaches us that there is no point in being a hypocritical Christian. God gets you. He understands you. He sees what you do. He sees even the intentions of your heart. And listen, you cannot manipulate him. You cannot stump him. You cannot fool him as these guys were trying to do. God knows you. You cannot act like you're perfect. God knows that you're not. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus over and over and over again constantly reminds his disciples, reminds the people whom he's teaching, hey, listen, don't be those hypocritical Pharisees and religious leaders who act like they're perfect. Matthew 6.1 says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Listen, guys, um, when we really take this to heart, it really changes who we are. um, And uh, and it can release a lot of pressure that you feel. You ever feel like as a Christian you have to be perfect? And you have to walk around, you got to, hey, listen, I got to have all my stuff in order. And I got to be this perfect uh, person who uh, never, ever makes a mistake and who never sins. Listen, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I know that you're fallen. I know that you're sinful. And yes, we should strive to honor him. And yes, we definitely should strive to stray away from sin. I'm not encouraging sin by any point. But after the fact, listen, we can't hide from God and we shouldn't act like we're perfect. In fact, I think by acting like we're perfect, many times we scare people away because they're not perfect either. I guarantee you if you're saying, hey, listen, here's my struggle, there's other people with that same exact 
struggle that you can help. Matthew chapter on in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This is another aspect of being a hypocritical Christian that we have to be on guard against, which is adding rules to God's Word. You know, we talk about adding or taking away from God's Word, and obviously, we don't want to do that. We also don't want to add to God's word. Either way, it's editing what he has already said. And so he, he's saying here, Jesus, he's saying, hey, listen, don't you start adding commandments on top of what I've already said. What I've said is already perfect. Don't edit it. The book of James also talks a little bit about this. It says, but be doers of the word. We talked about this verse just a little bit ago. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, he's not a doer. He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserves being a hearer and forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Guys, we got to not only hear God's word and internalize it in our brain, but also put it into action, into our life. There's no point in being this perfect person who walks around and says, oh, look at me, I'm perfect, uh, I'm a perfect Christian. And listen, Jesus is saying, you don't need to go down that road. We have each other. We all know that we're fallen, and we can share that with each other. Let's move on. What else do we learn from this teachable moment uh, that Jesus has with his disciples? Well, not only is there no point in being a hypocritical Christian, but think about the things that Jesus has to answer with these people. They're trying to get around Jesus' laws. The second thing I think that we can learn is that there's no way around any of God's statutes. There's no intellectual exercises that we can do to say, you know what, I know this is what God says, uh, but I really, I just don't like it. And so uh, I'm going to uh, just kind of pretend maybe I didn't read it, or uh, maybe I can just say, you know what, uh, ah, man, I'm, I'm going I'm to work my way around that. Listen, the Pharisees tried to do this all the time. They tried to add what they wanted to add to God's word, and they tried to take away what they wanted to take away from God's word. The Pharisees wanted to add, the Sadducees wanted to take away, and what God is saying is he's saying, hey, no, 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 this is my perfect word. It's authoritative over your life. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. It's perfect as it is. Romans 7.12 says, so the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Have you ever uh, kind of thought about the things that we have to do as Christians and thought, oh man, I have to do all this, I have to go to church, and I have to tithe my money, and oh, I guess i got to read my Bible too, and I can't do this, and I can't do that. And Listen, that is an attitude that is sometimes very easy to have. And yet in Scripture, what it says is that, no, 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 these commandments are not burdensome. These commandments are the best way to live our life. The Psalm 1, 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And on his law, he meditates day and night. May we have the attitude of Psalm 119, which says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Look at this. For I delight in it. What if you had the attitude? How would that change your life? If you looked at this less as a burden uh, list of laws and you said, no, 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 God, your word is my delight. And I love to live my life in a way that conforms to you, God. Would you conform me to look less like me and more like you? To make me into your image. So that's a couple things that this teaches us. I think this teachable moment that Jesus has with his disciples also teaches us one more thing. Take a look here in verse 46. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes, who love greetings in the marketplace, the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts. Take a look at that word, beware. Beware of them. He's saying essentially, hey, listen, you want to be on your guard against these people, not only so that you uh, don't fall into their ways, but also so that you can help others do that as well. The last thing I think that uh, we learn from this is to be on guard for ourselves and for others as well. Now, you might be looking at that and go, yeah, I'm going to be on my guard, and if somebody's hypocritical, man, you know what? They're going down. You know, I'm going to call them out, and this is going to be great, and uh, yeah, this is just, I'm, I'm going to call everybody out on this, but that's not the attitude that we should have. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, I think, uh, puts it perfectly when it says, brothers, if anyone's caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him, look at this, not in a spirit of, I gotcha, not in a spirit of, oh man, he's going down, but in a spirit of of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself too, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It gives us this attitude on which that we are to be on guard against. That not with a spirit of, yeah, ha, gotcha, but in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of, hey, can I help you come back to the Lord here? I want to help you to live your life in a way that's glorifying to God in all that you do. James 5.16 also says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now think about this. If you're going to confess your sins to other believers, you have to first say, hey, I'm not perfect. Uh, I've sinned. I've messed up. I've made mistakes here that I did things that I should not have done, and I need to repent of that. So kind of these things go hand in hand. It's uh, what happens in, uh, uh, should be the attitude of Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That we can come together as Christians, and we can say, hey, I need your help. It's hard enough to be a Christian in this world it's impossible to do it alone. And God didn't make you to do it alone. He gave you the church to help you with that and to say, hey, here's the community. Here's whom you have to help you to walk in a way that would glorify and honor me with all that you've got. So as we close here today, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Do you feel like maybe you've fallen in the same trap of these Pharisees? 
where you're having to walk around in this perfect way. And if there's something that you don't like that God's Word says, maybe you're like, you know what, I'm going to try and get around that, and I'm going to try and avoid that. Or do you feel like you're saying, man, no, 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 no. I, I need you, God, and I'm not perfect. That's the attitude that we should have. This attitude that says, hey, I'm not perfect. I need God just as much as you do, just as much as anybody else, if not more, and I need some help with that. This is the attitude that Jesus is saying with his disciples as he has this teachable moment. He's saying to each and every one of us, he says, hey, don't be those Pharisees. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy who has to walk around like they're perfect. Don't be that guy who tries and stumps me, because let me tell you, God is unstumpable. He's unmanipulatable. He's untrickable. You can't go to him and, you, and say, oh, you know what, I, I think I've got it. I think I'm going to stump God. Nothing that you say, God is going to have the response of, oh, I never thought about that. God is above us. His ways are higher than our ways. So think about your life for just a second. And think about this. Do you really follow God with everything that you've got? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength? Or do you fall into these same traps that these Pharisees fell into? Where they're walking around and they're saying, I want my own status, my own popularity, my own influence over people more than I want God's way for my life. Because I can guarantee you, God's way is better than anything this world can ever offer you. And that's something that these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these Sadducees never understood. But here's the good news is that we have their mistakes to learn from and that we don't have to fall into the same traps that they fell into thousands of years ago. We can say, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love letter to us. And I want to glorify you and I want to honor you, and I want to worship you with everything I've got. So let's do that. Would you be a church who does that? Would you be parents who do that? Employees and friends who glorify God with everything that they've got. Let me pray for you. Father, again, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. And I pray for each and every one of us that we would not fall in to the same trap that the Pharisees fell in 2,000 years ago? Would we not be like these religious leaders who walked around and pretended like they were perfect and had to have the most honorable seats and the most honorable positions of prestige? Father, would you help us to profess our need for you, that we are fallen, that we're sinful, and that we need you? Lord, as we do that, would you help us to worship you in everything that we have? To worship you with everything, our entire life, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, God. Would we give it to you? Would we hand it over to you? And when we fall, would you help us to confess that? And when people fall around us, would we have the attitude that we could restore them back to you? Not an aha, gotcha moment, but a restorative moment where we say, I want to lead you back to God. Help us to do that. Help us to have that attitude. Help us never to fall into the same trap that the Pharisees fell into. 
Jesus, as we leave this place, I pray that we would just worship you. We would worship and glorify you with everything that we've got. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.